0: Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. Sponsored by Tech Help Boston.
1: As I prepare for this week's interview, the world is still in lockdown. And here in the United States, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Social distancing seems to be working and incidences of the coronavirus are decreasing. Original estimates of deaths due to the virus are changing. The numbers are going down. And less people are dying. It's not hard to find exceptional women to interview for this program because they really are everywhere. My goal is to showcase women who can teach us, help us, inspire us. I think you'll agree, we all need that, especially right now. In the case of this week's interview, I didn't have far to go. She lives right across the street. Laurel Schnitman is a wife, she's a mother of two and a certified child life specialist for Massachusetts General Hospital for Children, where she works on an inpatient ward. She provides psychosocial medical play therapy and procedural support during hospital stays at a teaching hospital that is nationally ranked in five pediatric specialties. Many of the children that she helps are very sick with a variety of diseases. She is that bridge between physicians and nurses and parents and children. And working with children for children seems to be her passion. I'm hoping that her skill set and her experience working with children and families at vulnerable times in their lives will help us all understand how our own children are reacting to the stress and the uncertainty of an international health crisis. She's right here in my living room, and this is her story. Laurel Schnittman, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Candy. Easy to just walk across the street today, right? (laughs) Certainly was. (laughs) Can you offer our listeners some advice on how to talk to our children, you know, to calm their fears and help them understand the current crisis?
2: Yes. It's something that I have gone over and over in my mind on a daily basis as the news changes so quickly. The children are aware of what's going on because they can't go out. They can't see their friends. They can't go to school. Everything that is typical and normal for them has been taken away. And that's hard for a lot of kids. Lack of routine is also very difficult. It's difficult for adults as well. So we work through this together. I think the most important thing when speaking with your children about what's going on with this crisis is to always remain calm, to be very clear and simple with your answers. When children ask questions, it's important to really listen to their question so that you are actually answering the question that they have asked and that you're not providing additional information that may be above where their cognitive thinking is at that time.
1: How do you explain it to your children? What what words do you use? I how, how old are your kids again? So I have a third
2: grader and a fourth grader. They are just about nine and 10 and a half. Their level of understanding is very close. So my talk is sort of the same. Sometimes we talk all together and sometimes we talk separately. A lot of times my son will approach me at bedtime in the dark. Typically, that's the best time to talk. Kids don't like to be looked at. People often say car rides are a great time. The way that I describe it is that we have this virus similar to the flu. People can get it just like the flu, but this is a little bit more catchy than the flu. I focus a lot on what we can do to prevent ourselves from getting the virus rather than talk about the numbers of people who are getting the virus, because that's very scary for a child. It's very scary for adults. So I think for at least my children really focusing on the positives of what we are doing to prevent our family from getting it and so that we can stay healthy. Things like washing hands and, you know, social distancing and and these types of things are, are what we talk about.
1: Children deal with anxiety, fear very differently. Can you explain that? And also, can you give parents listening the signs that a child is struggling? I think a lot of kids deal
2: with anxiety and fear. It's a typical reaction to childhood. All kids will have some level of anxiety and fear, but obviously some will have more. Some telltale signs are, are very visible. Withdrawing from being with friends or not wanting to reach out in this current state, it would be to sort of reach out over FaceTime or by instant messenger through Facebook, things like that. Noticing that they're not in touch with their friends as much or they're not reaching out to grandparents as much, or people that they did at one time reach out to a lot. So that's a very visible sign. Other signs could be things like they're not eating as much, they're not drinking enough water, you know, little simple things that are changing for them. Those are some things to watch for.
1: And I remember reading an article, particularly about really young children, and obviously that's where it it shows in behavior. Yes, it definitely does. And I
2: think for a lot of children, the routine really helps. Anxiety and fear often come with unknown for any of us. When you can give children a predictable environment at home, that can really help to reduce those fears and anxiety.
1: You know, we're going to talk a lot about your job. And I feel like it's got two different personalities because there was your job before COVID-19 and there's your job now with COVID-19. What's it like working in a hospital setting with this virus? It's been very much a shift
2: daily. We've gone in such a short amount of time from one type of job to a completely other. We generally work with our patients hands-on. I'm in their rooms. I'm sitting on their bedside. I'm playing with them I'm interacting with them, conversing, connecting. really connecting, yes, in, in a very physical sense, because we're there together. They might be in the playroom, so we might be engaged with other patients who are in the playroom. That all can't happen right now. So all patients are confined to their rooms, regardless of whether they have COVID or not, they are in their rooms. And that is to obviously, you know, slow the spread within the hospital. It's really hard to connect to a human being if you can't actually be with them. We come up with other ways. Our role has really been reserved for the children who are not COVID positive right now because we can still have very much an interaction with them. I think one of the other ways for the kids who are COVID-19 or at least at risk or on watch for is to provide them with things that help them to feel at home, to kind of help pass their time in a very childlike way. So I've been making slime kits in my driveway on Easter Sunday with my kids.
1: Is that what was going on over there? Yes, it was. (laughs) Now we know.
2: (laughs) Yes. Last weekend, we made little Easter spring bags to drop off with kids in the hospital. So these things that are predictable and bring them a little bit of joy and let them know that someone cares about them outside of those four walls.
1: I'm also guessing that you've got to wear full protective gear then if you're working with kids who might be COVID-19 positive.
2: Fortunately, as we all know, the virus is not hitting kids as much as adults. We haven't had any really young children with it yet, which is great. A couple of older kids or kids at risk due to parents having it, But yes, we have to go in with full gear. So what you see on the news is what I look like. My role in general as a child life specialist is to bring normalization to children in the hospital. And that means that I wear my regular clothes normally. But of course, with this pandemic going on, I don't want to wear my regular clothes. So often I will go in scrubs and change in my garage before heading into the house. And that's a very
1: different thing for us. Talk to me a little bit about exactly what a child life specialist does. Give me your own definition. Our main role is
2: to normalize the medical experience, the medical encounters that these children are going through. Now, being in the hospital is not normal. So we do our best to bring normalization to them. A lot of that has to do with mastery, helping children feel as though they have some control while they're in the hospital and have some understanding of what's happening to them. In the old days, parents weren't necessarily allowed to stay with children and procedures would just happen because they needed to happen. Today, we work really hard to prepare children for procedures that will happen so that they understand what's happening. They can ask questions. They've seen pictures or equipment or they've actually played with materials that will be on their body beforehand so that they are seeing it for the second time or the third time which really helps to make them more comfortable we also do lots of psychosocial support for both children and parents and families that are involved in the care there's many factors that go into children being in the hospital at mass general we often have a population where parents have multiple children and they need care at home while this one child may be in the hospital Parents may be working two jobs or three jobs. They might be a single parent household, which means that it's very difficult for them to be in all of those places that they need to be. It's a lot of support for the family as well. When you can support the family, the child is also supported.
1: The children you work with are also, in many cases, very sick. And I'm guessing that they've taught you a lot about courage and resiliency. Is that true? it certainly is true and i think
2: that is why i pursued my certification as a child life specialist i spent about seven years at mass general in pediatrics volunteering absolutely loved every minute that i could get there with the children because i went home feeling so fulfilled and it brought my own life into perspective And as much as I was able to give to them, they were able to give to me. My decision to pursue this career is because I feel that I learn from kids every single day. Sick children are amazing. They don't act like they're sick, generally. They get up every day like it's a regular day, because for them, it is. It reminds me that the strength within them is so strong that I can be there to support that for them and treat them
1: like any other normal kid. I'm also guessing, though, that there's an emotional load for you as the child life specialist. And there might be a time when, say, for instance, you lose a child. And it's overwhelming, and you feel so close to that child. How do you take care of yourself in a situation like that?
0: Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelp Boston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers. And the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak. And that's in their home. We come to you. We work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you. And also, we can test better that way. Because if you have a printing problem or whatever, and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but it might not work in your home. So this way, we know for sure everything is working. The way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com.
1: It takes teamwork to put a weekly series like this together. I am so grateful to Jordan Rich and Ken Carberry for giving the story behind her success a home at Chart Productions. And to Dan Tebow, our editor from Fast Twitch Media. JC Valeris at Platinum Circle Media who handles our social media marketing and so much more. Thank you all for making me look so good.
2: That's hard. Obviously, talking to people who I feel comfortable with is important. I would love to say that my husband, Michael, would be that person, but my job is really hard for him. It's very difficult for him to think about sick children in the hospital, and it scares him because of our own children. While our children are healthy today, we never know what's going to happen in life, and we have to be prepared for that. So I don't choose to talk to my husband. I often will talk to my mom or my friend, Jen, from college, who is a pediatric intensive care nurse in Vermont. Of course, my coworkers, because they know what I'm going through. We have a meeting, actually, with the psych department once a week at Mass General to provide support for us as child life specialists, because it is hard sometimes, and you do get to know these patients very well.
1: In addition to pursuing your advanced degree a little bit later in life, right, and doing all your internships and your work at Mass General as a volunteer, you also worked for Make-A-Wish, As a volunteer. I love that organization. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with Make-A-Wish?
2: Yes. So I'm actually still an active volunteer. I don't do as many wishes now as I did, but it's a lovely organization. It's such a joy. I've actually had people say to me, oh gosh, that must be terribly sad for you to do that. How do you do that? It's actually the opposite. It's so fulfilling, it's so cheerful. The kids are really excited about their wishes and coming up with them, sort of the planning and the thought process behind it. So it's a very uplifting, joyous occasion. The organization goes out of their way to make sure that whatever a child truly wishes for,
1: that we will come up with that wish in one way or another. I guess my next question has to do with how you deal with parents when their child is so very sick. Because as you were sharing with us earlier, losing a child is, everyone knows, it's a parent's worst nightmare. So how do you handle a terrified parent? Obviously, I'm going to guess you have support from the docs and the nurses and everything, but what does that feel like? What does that look like for a child life specialist?
2: I think when we are expecting that death is imminent, then we will speak with the family about how they want to handle that. And that's very different for each family, depending on religious values, where family is located, the age of the child. There's a lot of factors that go into that. Part of my job is to assess a family and their current needs and their current understanding of their child's situation. Once a child has passed, we do have a lot of things that we help a family with if they so choose to partake. So things like making handprints of the family together. Now, these things could be done just before the death, or they could be done immediately after death. But these are some things that we offer. So the handprints or thumbprint charms of your child for the parent, locks of hair, memory boxes things like that, that will help the family walk away with something tangible that they were able to partake in. Now, those are some standard things. There are certainly other things that families will say, well, hey, can we do this? And we will do our best to support the family in that. But it is really hard. And I think that the best that we can do for the families is to really listen and provide the assistance that they need when they are asking for it. And sometimes they just need someone to listen.
1: Did you become a better mom when you became a child life specialist?
2: Yes, because I feel that I am a better me when I come home to be with my kids than I was before I was working. I think that I would take for granted the time that I had with my kids. And as many stay at home moms would say, you sometimes become very frustrated with those moments and frustrated with your children. I don't have those feelings very much anymore and when I come home I do feel that I'm much more open to listening to them,
1: playing with them, making moments really count with them, which is great. I believe that our upbringing shapes us. I love that song by Miranda Lambert, The House That Built Me. You know, All the things that came together as we were growing up to form who we are. Can we talk a little bit about your childhood? Tell us a little bit about your parents and your family.
2: I grew up in the city of Boston in Back Bay for most of my childhood. I have two parents and I had a brother. He sadly passed away of cancer almost eight years ago now. We were a very loving family We did lots of outdoor activities together. We have a home in Vermont and did some skiing throughout our entire lives. We're a very close family, very loving. We like to be together. We really do. Was there a golden rule in your house? I'm not sure anybody really called it a golden rule, but I would say that working hard and giving it your best is what my parents would ask for. They're not going to expect an A on everything. But if you've tried really hard and you've put your effort in and you've learned something, that's all they can ask. And I appreciated that growing up because it took pressure off of me. I had a learning disability early on, finally discovered it. And that really helped to figure out how to learn better and what ways worked for me. And having my parents accept me in that was really important. Just a very supportive family.
1: When you were growing up and maybe even into your early adolescence, who were your role models? And did you know what you wanted to do with your life? I would say I had
2: a few role models throughout my life at different points in my life. I always did know that I wanted to work with children. I've always had just a connection with kids from a very young age and could see that I made a difference. By doing very little myself, I felt like I hardly would do anything and I could
1: make a difference. I call that teacher magic.
2: <laughs> yes, I suppose. I had got to... the magic. <laughs> as far as role models, I had a ballet teacher growing up who was extremely strict, really held her students to a very, very high standard. She had a lot of sayings that I find myself using with my children now, um, which is funny. The one I probably use the most is when somebody says, well, I can't do this, I can't do this. And I'll say, well, God gave you a brain, so let's use it. It's just funny because it's not something my parents ever said to me, and it is a very high standard thing to say, She was probably one of the first role models that I had. They pushed me beyond my comfort zone. And as a child, my comfort zone was very tight. They really did teach me that I had to go out of my comfort zone a little bit in order to experience things and learn what I'm great at and what I'm not so great at and what do I really love. I would say sort of middle years, I really do look up to both of my parents. They worked, but we had a very strong, close-knit family, even though they both worked very full-time jobs. And then my brother, of course. He was my best friend in life, and it is tragic for me every day when I think of things happening in my life that I'd like to share with him. And it's hard not having him here. I look at him as a role model because... He battled cancer for four years, and he did it so gracefully. I look up to him for that.
1: Do you think that informs some of your work as a child life specialist? I do.
2: And I think that my comfort zone in the hospital goes back probably to my brother. He was very sick as a child and spent a month at Floating Hospital for children for unknown reasons. The doctors were convinced he just didn't want to go to school and that he was a psych case. But in turn, you know, it actually was something inside him that he had lots of acid reflux, which I believe contributed obviously to his cancer today. And I think that that's what started my
1: comfort level in the hospital. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it?
2: I don't take no for an answer. <laughs>
1: And sometimes that drives people crazy. I just seem to find another way. I don't like no. What is the best piece of advice you've ever had? And can you share it with our listeners today? There's two pieces,
2: but they're really connected. My dad has always said to me that something good comes out of everything. Even if you're not sure why in the moment, there will be something good that will come out of it. The other is shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you will be among the stars. I feel that they're connected. Those are two things that I have followed throughout my life. And I think we could all say that while this pandemic is tragic in so many levels, and so many ways, there will be something good that will come out of it. And we will all be better as a country moving forward if something like this were to happen again.
1: You know, I've interviewed over 700 women in my career, and I have come to learn that we see our lives in chapters. And if I had asked you this final question 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't have had the same answer you'll have at this moment. Right now, Laurel, what does success mean to you? Success for me comes through when I see the
2: look on my children's face when I come home from work and they're so excited to ask me if I helped a child today. It comes from my husband, who I will hear speaking to his colleagues about my job and what I do. He's proud of me. And while he was nervous about me in this new venture in my life and how it would affect our family, but he still supported me. And I see that he is proud of me. And I think lastly, to be nearly 45 and have your parents still so proud of me, there's nothing more that I could ask for. And I think all of that screams success to me. The obvious one, though, is my connection to children in the hospital and their families. And when I can go home knowing that I made a
1: difference in one child's life today, that is success to me. I want to say thank you so much, Laurel Schnitman, Child Life Specialist. Thank you so much for sharing so much knowledge today and wisdom along the way on the story behind her success. Thank you. Thank you so much, Candy, for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, candyoterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?